And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome. The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me tonight is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. It's it's like the real holiday season starting because like we oh, have yeah. Saturday, Saturday games are about to, about to start, <laughs> and so it's like I yeah. I think I'm going to that... try to go to Patriots Colts next uh, week. Oh, I think I'm going to try to go. It's in Indy. Yeah, I, I was considering maybe doing like a holiday get together with some friends, but we, we decided to kind of push that till the end of the year. So I think I'm going to make the a little three-hour drive over there and check out my first in-person game of the season. That's my plan right now. That'd be fun. Yeah, and as everybody wants to point out when they talk about moving the Combine, Indy is a very walkable city. It's very centralized. It certainly is. (laughs) It certainly is. So that's a good city to go to and uh, enjoy the town. No, but I I fully support going to a live game. I, I got the itch last week going to the Raiders Stadium, to Allegiant Stadium. Now it's like, okay, yeah, that was kind of fun feeling the buzz a little bit. Well, it's tough because we have to pay attention to all the craziness that happens on Sunday. And oh boy, was there some craziness today. Let's spend 30 seconds on the Sunday night game. People keep asking me on Twitter, like, are you okay? Yeah. You know, are you going to be able to, to do the show tonight? It's like, yeah, guys, this is, this team can't hurt me anymore. I don't, we've talked about this. I need yes. my handful of Justin Fields plays. I need them to not embarrass me in public. Yep. And that's okay. And that's exactly what happened tonight. They still got beat up pretty good while taking on the most embarrassing special teams performance maybe in the history of the NFL from the Packers. That's what it took to keep the game close. There was some horrendous Matt Nagy decision making, but I have moved so far past getting worked up over him punting on fourth and inches down 11. That is no longer in my concern list right now. I, I do not have that amount of energy. If they bring him back 
and we run this group back, then I will again have renewed energy to get upset about little tiny choices when it comes to game management. But that's not where I'm at right now. I am not that granular with my little bits of anger and little bits of ire that I have. You've reached nihilism. Just it's great. Must be exhausting. Uh, no, it, uh, but that's the, uh, like the, it had a little bit of everything. It was like a vintage bears thing. So you had the bad coaching decision, fourth and inches. You had some special teams plays. I think Packers fans still want to fire Ron Zook, even though he's not there anymore. Like, <laughs> They probably were like, hey, did we change that coach, right? Like we we changed our special teams coach, oh right? Oh my god. It's so true. <laughs> but it was you're right. It's a it's you just want a couple of those flash plays and let's move on. And it's like like I, I think you put it perfect on Friday. Just don't embarrass me. And it was enough. It was enough. It was fine. It was totally it was fine. fine. Yeah. That's so a that good way to put it. Late in the game comes on the heels of a wild afternoon slate. The early slate today was miserable. We'll get to a couple games that were mildly entertaining that had some stuff we're talking about. For the most part, it was not a good three and a half hours of football. The games that were supposed to be close were blowouts for most of the game. The Cowboys-Washington game ended up being close at the end. The Ravens-Browns game ended up being close at the end. But for the most part, those final scores don't indicate what the game flow was like. There were blowouts or there were just ugly games between ugly teams. But then... That 3 p.m. It's 3 p.m. to me. It's 4 p.m. on the East Coast. It's 1 p.m. to whatever time it's it was. Great. The late slate of games was excellent. Yes. And I, they started off like a blowout in the Bills-Bucks game, but then got inc- extremely close. That last hour, when you had Bills-Bucks in the fourth quarter in overtime, and you had Niners-Bengals in the fourth quarter in overtime, those are the best Sunday afternoons. I love yep. that when it's just... Everything's happening all at once. You got both games going at the same time. You could barely keep track of the big plays in each one. And that's what it felt like today at about 6.30 p.m. Central Time as I was trying to hold on to my seat. And it was like it rotating in like the other games, too. It was like, oh, there's another Justin Herbert throw. OK, now let's get back to the tight games. It was like, <laughs> OK, and there's another Justin Herbert highlight. OK, you get back to the tight games. It was like, yeah, you got a nice little ebb and flow with those games. But I had to make I, a decision I, today about the TVs. I typically will split the the big TV into a couple for the afternoon game yeah. and then keep the local game on one screen and then red zone. I did not have either the Giants Chargers game or the Broncos Lions game even on its own little screen is splitting them. I was like, Bucks, Niners, Bengals, red zone. Like I will, yeah. I'll catch snippets of the Giants chargers and that'll be enough for me today. Well, even in the first half of the Bucks Bills game, I was the same way. I didn't have red zone on for the afternoon. I had, I have three TVs available. Basically, I have a laptop, a monitor and a TV in my office. And so I, I went, Broncos Lions got the cut. Sorry, I'm not. Uh, I'm sorry. That's Brian. We rewatched <laughs> it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. We rewatched it, so it's good. But I had one on, one on each screen. That was great. So and it was like okay. So I kind of got to enjoy all of them. But honestly, like how the Bucks Bills game was going in the first half, and that I, I made the joke that it was like Norm McDonald's uh, story j- moth joke on Conan. Where it was like it was like seven minutes long because it's like that's how I felt the 2021 NFL season's going. It's like we're gonna spend all this time like just making up BS and BSing us for 20 something weeks, and it's gonna end up Bucks Chiefs once again. You know, that's what it felt like. But then it was like in the second half, I was like, okay, maybe not, maybe not, maybe it isn't the moth joke. And if you haven't heard that joke, please do. Rest in peace, Norb. <laughs> so let's get into the first half of that game because at a certain point. It did feel like that simply because it felt like the Bucks' offense had reached a point where oh, I don't even know what the right analogy was. I mean, I mean, they just leveled up where it was becomes it became supernova. It was just yeah. they were just going downhill at that Bills team. That Mike Evans touchdown, that was a moment where I was like, oh god, 
Yeah. Like, what is happening right now? I mean, this is the best pass defense in the league. And I still thought overall the Bucks' offensive performance today was incredibly impressive. I mean, when you think about what they did in the first half, you look at the numbers, I think Brady still averaged point two, or two. 0.27 EPA per play on the day against the best pass defense in the league. And yeah. in the first half, and I tweeted this, and this is kind of what it felt like to me. When you're watching, when you're watching the Bucs, a quarterback who sees everything. I mean, mm-hmm. He's playing close to perfect football because there's nothing you can do against him. He has an answer for everything you want to do because he's seen everything a defense can possibly throw at him. This is a quarterback with 20 years of experience just piled up in the back of his mind. And he has that. He has that at his disposal all the time. He's also physically looks incredible right now. Somehow, some way, he looks incredible. Yeah. (laughs) And and just his arm strength and some of the throws he's fitting in. And then you combine that with, I think, the best supporting cast in the league. And Antonio Brown is still hurt. Their offensive line is incredible. Mike Evans is still Mike Evans. You still have Chris Godwin. We talked about Gronk last week. And that's what it felt like over the course of that first half. That Mike Evans touchdown is a perfect example, right? It's just a simple concept, right? It's yeah. just smash in the smash. in the red zone, right? Yep. So it's a curl and then it's a corner. And the speed with which Evans gets on the safety and when Brady lets that ball go and the accuracy that he lets it go with and the catch, all of it, everything, everything. combined into one. It's like there are so few offenses that have this gear. Like This is a simple idea and they make it look so dynamic and terrifying. And that's yep. what the first half felt like. And then in the second half, the game shifts a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's that first touchdown. It's you're throwing to a spot. And that's what they say. You you throw to a spot that only your guy can get it. And that's like, well, when you have Mike Evans, who's 6'5", 230-something <laughs> pounds and former basketball player, it's like, yeah, he's the only one that can get that. And that's what, like like you said, it's only, it's only I wouldn't say perfection, but it is like, it's great. It's hard, aggressive concepts. And then also they just do those freak plays where it's yes. like, Brady, I mean, Brady, Brady missled that in. Like yes. he was like, hey, that singing corner is not getting underneath this thing. I'm going to rifle that thing in a high and put it up there, put it on the shelf. Even the play, I think it was on the, it was either that drive or the drive after um, when he threw, they had a, a free runner and he just lobbed. The, the oh, that's another perfect Evans. example. Yes. Oh my God. Uh, like I cannot wait to watch that one again. What are you supposed to do? Like you, what you are you supposed do to do about it? And that's the problem is they have those plays. And that's what it felt like in the first half. And the other play I'll throw out as an example, the Fournette touchdown, it can't be blocked better than that. Yeah, You can't do it better than that. And that involves Gronk sealing the edge like very few tight ends can. They perfectly block it up with Kappa and Marpet pulling. And then you have Donovan Smith, 12. I remember pancaking a guy. (laughs) That was always the goal, right? If you were coming from the backside and you're scooping out down the field, you want to try to get to that play side safety. I, that's yep. what it looks like perfectly yes. when you're the backside left tackle. It never happens. Ever. So rarely does that actually take place. Usually the guy's on, just jogging, going, yes, oh, no, come back, come back. Yes. <laughs> and he gets there. And when you have monster runs like that, you have to block it perfectly. And I think this team overall is a really good example of a team that with buy-in from every single guy. And that's how those plays happen. The play where Godwin ditches two guys on the two left blocks. side where he tosses the corner. The corner tripped, which helps. But the fact that he still takes out two DBs he didn't on stop. that screen. He didn't just go, oh, I got my guy and I'm done. He's like, nope, I'm going to keep finding work. I'm going to keep finding. Oh, yeah. Just and that's what example. they feel like, right? That's yep. what they feel like. They have buy-in, talent, and they're well deployed. I mean, it is so beautiful when it's working. But then you get to the second half and you remember that the Bills are still pretty damn good. They're seven and six now, but they're pretty damn good. 
And yep. they had some plays on offense. They had some plays on defense. Let's just talk about kind of the second half of the way the Bills looked on that on offense. I thought Josh Allen was incredible in the second half. I did half. too. Like, I mean, just what he did with his legs. He had 100 yards rushing today. But just every little thing that he had going and the plays he could make with his legs, the plays he could make kind of out of structure, some of the throws that he hit, the way that they were kind of spamming that slant RPO and they were getting some stuff going on the ground, it really felt like they started to gain some momentum in the second half. If you're watching that game, just their offensive performance in that half, do you feel better about them than you did before that game started? The second half, because it was, the, especially in the second half, it was like the first half, he was, Josh Allen's doing his stuff. And honestly, this is how well Josh Allen played in the second half. I looked up his MVP odds because I was like, hmm, he's, <laughs> he's looking pretty good right now. He came back with the ankle and it, you wouldn't even tell that he got banged up on that on that touchdown. But I think what happened at halftime, they're like, hey, yes, on those RPOs, yes, that is a throw read. They're Because the first one, the Devin Singletary, the first play of the second half, they were on a pin-pull RPO, and they got slants behind it. The Bucks are Bucks were treating it like every down, like third down. Bucks have – Todd Bowles is very, like, regimented or uh, siloed. First and second down is this defense. Third down is this defense. Like, he is – that's how he does it. He treated, like, all those downs, like, second and long. It was first and ten. He was treating them, like, second and long and third down. Like, he was treating them, like, Do you like downs. that approach? Because th- I feel like that's playing with fire a little bit when you thought about – when you look at the ways the teams have played the Bills all year and how much success they've had being a little bit more passive, yep. just playing back, not blitzing as much, it almost felt like a game plan from 2020 and during the second half. And I think that's what fueled a little bit of their success I offensively. Thousand percent agree. I, I, the, I like the fact that they even were able to hold on that long, like without all the big plays happening. Like that. So the pinpole RPO. No matter what, they had an answer to a blitz. A pin pull is a run it run. You can run any defense against it, and it describe has an what answer. pin pull is. Pin pull is the wide tight end is going to block down, and then you're going. It was the the touchdown before that as well as pin pull. It's two guys are going to be pulling usually on it. So you got a pin on the outside, and you got other guys pulling. Usually, have a center and a tackle. It all depends on the front on which guys end up pulling. But usually, it's going to be a center and tackle or a guard. The Eagles running a lot. Tons. Yes. Oh, yes. Because Jason Kelsey is fantastic on it. You need an athletic center to, to get away with it. Mitch Mitch Morris is one. Uh, so like they do a pin pull. So even if you bring a blitz to that side, you can run it. They also had the RPO. On slants. Oh, it's better if you bring a blitz to that side because that you, corner is getting so much depth in the you backfield. Want you them barely to even have to you. touch them. You want them to blitz you when you run a uh, pin pull. You want that. And that's the thing is they must have told Josh Allen at halftime. They go, hey, those are RPO throws. We got it. Hand it off because we, we got it blocked up. That happens. That's a that's an adjustment. It's like, yes, this is what we thought we were going to do, but nope, we're going to do this. And I think that's what happened at halftime because there was three looks I saw. I was like, oh, he would have pulled that before. Like he would have thrown that. Like, and I think they like told him, like, just hand it off. It's good. It's fine. It's fine. It's blocked up. And it helps him out because now the defense has to defend all the grass. Everyone has to play the rules. Now you're going from basically ISO ball. You know, to now it's like, oh, shit, shit, it's a motion offense now. (laughs) It's like, you know, now we have to defend everything. And so that was, I I like that adjustment. I was actually pretty down on on the Bills offense. I'm like, man, just more of the same. They're just running their head into the wall. It's like, I get it. Those are quote unquote advantageous looks, but you're putting a lot on your guys. And it was nice. It was nice more of like a team win, even with Josh Allen kind of leading the charge. But man, it was they had a couple near misses. Like he almost had another fantastic throw to Stefan Diggs about 30 yards down the field. That was yeah. back shoulder. It ended up being out of bounds, but that's once like we're going to talk about another quarterback later about making 0.001% throws. That's a 0.001% throw. <laughs> and even like that, that, getting that off against the Blitz 
and just being it's, able to even make that a possibility yeah. was impressive. I, yes. I thought that he was such a huge part of them huge. even being in that game. And then defensively, a couple, one more thing offensively, they had a couple RPOs to Beasley on for chunk plays off those slants. They yes. had a really good mix of, all right, when am I pulling it? When am I yep. trying to get a splash Which play in the passing to game? Do. Exactly. Yes. And I, yeah. I thought that they really found a groove on that side. Agreed. On defense, I thought that the way they approached Brady in the second half was really smart and that a lot of mugged up looks and they were bringing four and then dropping guys into really advantageous spots, dropping edge rushers into shallows on third down. The big sack that Milano had is a four man rush, but it's a stunt with a blitzing linebacker. So you don't want to throw extra bodies at Brady, but making it a little bit hard to decipher, understand, hold. That's it. (laughs) And they they were doing a lot of that in the second half. And I thought those simulated pressures, it's, you know, you need a couple third downs here and there. That's it. That's wins against this offense. And that's exactly what was happening. So, and that one, there was one stretch that I thought was just so indicative of the way that that defense can play every once in a while. It was, let me look at this right now. It was that play where it was, okay, so 821 in the fourth quarter. Okay. Poyer comes down and makes a hit on Fournette at the line of scrimmage for a one-yard gain. It's like that is a great play from a safety and run support. Next play, they line up Gronk out wide and try to go one-on-one with Dane Jackson down the right sideline. It was an adventure at times. It was like Dane Jackson was climbing the beanstalk multiple times in this game. But that play, he gets a PBU. It's third down, and they run a mugged-up look where both of the linebackers – take the tight end and the running back. They mm-hmm. go, do a twist on the right side. They force an incompletion. It's like this defense is still really good. Just yes. because of what was happening to them in the first half against the best offense in the league, they're still capable of stringing these plays together. And then you have Josh Allen who can just make plays. Yes, This is all a very long-winded way of saying, I think the Bucks are the best team in the league. I don't feel any worse about the Bills after today. That's, I mean, yes. they're... Their odds Agreed. and just the way that the standings look, I mean, it's rough right now, right? All those teams mm-hmm. are seven and six in the AFC. I think NBC said they had a 66% chance of making the playoffs after losing this game. So they're likely still going to get in. And even if their record doesn't look all that impressive and their first half was a nightmare, I still feel like this team has a real puncher's chance because I do still think their defense is really, really good. Yeah. And it, how do you know the Bucks respected them was their second drive? Uh, respect the the Bills defense is the second drive they went tempo because why they went tempo is we've talked about it before is like when we were first time this season we broke down the Bills defense and we were like all right who's doing stuff and we're like everybody because they <laughs> rotate like eight defensive linemen and they do you know all these guys say they, they, what the Bucks were trying to do was not let them stop they were trying to yeah. keep hey Kate we're getting we'll get an advantage because we'll wear them down wear them down and that's like hey they had to have a game plan they were like we got to manufacture some tempo right now and actually you know get some rhythm going so it's like the bills were dictating stuff early on and then it kind of you know went away from it but in the second half you can see that they uh the bucks kept trying to hit them with high lows like um I used to call this, uh, or Paul Chris calls this concept swoosh. Sorry, coach, but uh, he calls it swoosh, and it's <laughs> the number. Th- it's a three by one concept. The number three runs a bender, and the two uh, you see in the red zone a lot. Um, and then you see the number one, number two spots run under routes, which are five yes. yard square square ends. And it's a high low. What that route is, or what that concept is, you're high lowing the mic. It's great against man with the whole player, which the Bills will run, and also great against quarters because same thing. You're putting it put it on the mic on Edmonds. The first half, that's why you kept seeing Godwin just getting peppered underneath. 
because multiple the, times he's yes, got a when, drafting off the point man and the bunch on that amazing. and coming right underneath it it looks yep. really pretty when it works it's also just a precision play that brady makes really well because you have to time it as yeah. if you hold that too long and don't hit and don't read it quick they rally on it and it's also ball it. placement i mean it's just it's his everything. ability to kind of put that thing low yep. and just kind of dink and dunk your way play. into yes. frustration he's very good at that stuff and what happened to the bills was they adjusted to it and they're like hey we're gonna drive on it and we're gonna make him throw the hard throws over the top he hit one to evans but that was it it was kind of like they're like we'll make you we'll make you hit the 18 yarder because that's a that's a hard ass throw you can't hit five times in a row you can take those underneath throws to godwin who's a legit pro bowl guy you know it was like, like we we think of him like this blocker and stuff that guy's a stud like he gets north so quickly it, it's it is remarkable he's like a uh Super mushroom Edelman, you know, like or Wes Welker, like that's what he is. It's like bloop bloop bloop, like you know, like <laughs> that's what he took it to get because he gets north so quickly. That was like Wes Welker's superpower. Um, and so when you have that's why the Bucks are so super supercharged as an offense is most teams run that and you're trying to get to one guy. The Bucks run it. They have Godwin underneath and Gronk or Evans behind him. And so there was like, that one play where deal with it. He hit the high <laughs> one, and it was his fourth read. He read the concept out on that side, and then yep. it was the high-low over the middle. He looked low, went high, and completed it. Yeah, and that's why they're so hard to deal with. It's and it's impossible. also when you watch them against a team like the Bills, especially in the first half where you have, again, zones kind of designed to prevent you from hitting chunk plays. Yep. We talk so much about if you're going to play too high against the team or against an offense, can that offense run you out of it? Can they make you pay for it? It's also can you, with precision – attack the underneath areas of the field and continue to move the ball. And if you look at some of the numbers, Brady on the season coming into today was 40 of 50 on the season at about 0.31 EPA per dropback on throws between five and 10 air yards against two high defenses. It's the hardest throw. It, that And his ability to do that, you saw that all the time in the first half. Yeah. That little adjustment by the Bills is really smart. So that that's kind of my where I come to here is that I think that the Bucks are the best team in the league. I mean, you watch them today. I truly think that they're the best team in the league. They're healthy on defense now, but I think that the Bills are very, very good. And now they are a member of a very crowded AFC wildcard picture with a Bengals team that lost to the Niners in that exact same window as all that wild stuff was happening, right? God. So this is what a strange game that was. Yeah. I mean, the fact that I, the Bengals outplayed them. Like yeah. They absolutely did. They should have won that game. They almost won that game with multiple muffed punts. They lost two muffed punts in that game. And then Jesse Bates drops an interception yep. that potentially could have sealed it. Like if George Kittle doesn't exist, <laughs> the Niners lose that game. And the <laughs> Bengals are sitting there feeling really good about themselves in the AFC North leading the division. Instead, both of those teams are now seven and six. The Niners are cruising toward a playoff spot. And the AFC is an absolute mess. God, and that that game was like, it was like it was moments of brilliance by some players and just a lot of muck. It was a yes. lot of like just yes. like this is. I thought brutal. Burrow was incredible. I did too, man. He is uh, Seth Galina, you know, because he's an LSU fan as well. But he 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 says it best. It's like you wish he had a little more arm strength because he is so aggressive. Yes, and he's able to do that. The fact that he's able to do that with not the Herbert arm, the Allen arm, the Brady arm is really, really impressive because he he sees the game so well. He's so smart. And he's like his timing, his sense of timing and throwing the space. He throws guys open. That's why you see T. Higgins, even with his arm, that's why you see T. Higgins with room on those comebacks. That's why mm -hmm. you see 
Jamar Chase catching those corner pocket throws. Like that's all or not catching it as he, as he dropped one today. They got <laughs> another play that just didn't go their way. They got unlucky Barely. today and still almost won that game. Yeah. And he's making guys miss in the pocket. It's just like, yeah, they had five sacks, but it's like he also made about seven sacks not happen and created not just like, oh, he just got through the ball out of bounds. It was like, no, he actually got like a first down or a touchdown on that fourth down to Jamar Chase, which was just ridiculous play, even though the right tackle, I think, gave a rock bottom to the guy. Uh, but they're a solid <laughs> team. And and they they found some formula, like the run game. We've talked about it a few times. Their understanding run game is pretty nice with Mixon and, and their zone stuff. And like, you know, they've stopped spamming empty plays and get having to throw hot all the time. Now they're able to attack those intermediate areas. That's why you're seeing more T Higgins in your life. Yes. That's why you're seeing more of that because they're hitting intermediate throws. And that's where that, those types of guys thrive. They're, they're a solid team. They really are. They're hard to defend for four quarters. That, that's what, there's, they have a lot of talent. They really do. Those skill guys are really hard to defend, especially when you're playing fist string corners like like the <laughs> the 49ers. Oh, Ambry Thomas had a rough day, man. Woo. I mean, he it was an adventure of a day. No That's fault second of his half. own. No. I mean, that Chase drops a potential touchdown. I mean, it's not like a drop. It's a really it's a tough catch, a tough but play. it hits yeah. him in the hands. That's a Thomas play. And then there were a couple of deep inbreakers to T Higgins that were just We see him running easy. after him and he's he <laughs> flailing trying to catch up to him. And then the slant and go to chase the score oh, yeah. touchdown. I mean, it's it's a rough day for him. He's a rookie. That stuff is going to happen. That happens. But that position. drive to tie the game, I mean, there are three or four throws on that drive. There's the inbreaker to Higgins yep. that Burrow hits. There's the scissors to Tyler Boyd yep. on the left sideline. That's a player. beautiful corner throw. Yep. Gorgeous throw. And then he hits Chase for the touchdown. It's like, yep. holy shit, man. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that all of those throws in one drive, he played extremely well. I and you know, their defense I thought played well. I mean, mm-hmm. they they had a couple, you know, bounces of the ball here and there, but other than that, they absolutely could have won that game if not for Kittle. I mean, you look at what <laughs> right. Kittle did in that game, 13 catches for 151 yards. I mean, there's the one Jennings catch down the right sideline, and then there's the one Debo run for a touchdown. But even on the Debo run, that happens in part because of Kittle. Yes. It it is unbelievable how valuable he is to that team right now. And I wanted to ask you, I just put you on the spot. If we're drafting non-quarterbacks for the rest of the season, and you're confident that guys are going to be healthy, but with the Kittle, that's always a caveat, right? Yes. Dinged up all the time. But since he's come back from injury, He's been insanely good, like mm-hmm. insanely good. That catch today, that full extension catch is just otherworldly stuff. He's doing yes. five of those a game at this point as a blocker and a receiver. Among non-quarterbacks, how high would you draft him for the rest of the year? He's top five. I think I mean, so, too. Yeah, because we we underestimate. We think tight ends are just the receiving stuff, but the fact that he can play 90% of the snaps and affect you know, so if say he plays sixty plays, he's affecting the positively. I've talked, I've gone on this rant before, but he's positively affecting the game fifty something plays. You know, because not not even it's just his targets, which is like that's what usually receiving tight ends are. It's the like the Debo Samuel uh, touchdown, the block there. That's a key block. That's not him on the backside cutting a guy off. It's like why do you no, think their their perimeter run game is so dominant? It I mean, was amazing. He's a huge part of it. Yes, and that's the thing. So now he's a. It's not just. Oh, I know. It, it, yes, I. I say top five pretty easily. I mean, it's I probably mean, gonna be the guys you could list off like Aaron Donald, yeah, Jalen Ramsey, Miles Garrett, Devontae Adams. Trent Williams, I mean, you know, I, you, he's right in that conversation. Like yeah. right in that conversation, and I think that we forget that sometimes. 
Yeah. He was the fact that he was dinged up for a good portion of the year. What he has done over the last three or four games is astonishing. I mean, he yeah. has carried them offensively, and they won this game, but they easily could have lost. I mean, it is amazing how valuable he has been to who they are offensively. We, this this is how like even we I've talked about this with Tyreek Hill, how he can take like a little uh, a short route that should only get four or five yards and create a first down out of it, mm-hmm. like. Kittle had like, I mean, he get every one of the every time he gets a target or, or a catch, he had the dart. Darts like uh you see with the Shanahan offense, he's the only one that does this really. It's the they'll run outside zone and then on the backside, he runs the little like one step slant. They call mm-hmm. it dart, a now slant, but they attach the tight end. Jacob Tammy was really good at it with the Falcons. Like <laughs> a random, random like niche thing he was really good at with it because he had a feel for it. But anyways, he catches it. Should be a nice seven yard gain. Okay, second and three. He turns it into a 20-yard gain because it breaks two tackles, blah, you know, just carrying guys, gets the first down. And then he's on the next snap, he's putting a down block in. And it's just right then and there. He went from, okay, that should be a, a double or, or a single. Okay, get on base. Good job. Hey, we got a nice efficient play. He's turning it into a triple. And then on the next play, it's like, oh, and then he's stealing home. That's what blocking right there is. Like if we're going baseball there, that's what he does. It's He's like a 3 and D basketball player. Like I don't know how else to describe it. It's just like a two-way player. And when you have guys that can just do that on every single play, the the jumping catch on the sail route, um, I mean, just like he's turning those into explosive plays. And that's what we're always trying to gain in the offense. And not many tight ends are explosive guys. And it's just, it's ridiculous what he can do. He can take any, literally any ball to the house. How many tight ends? As a tight end. And and, and he has the value as a blocker. It's that team is so bizarre. I mean, they have three or four. Special players. Yes. I mean, what I Bosa can and Bosa was really good again today, and what he can give you on any single down. And obviously, Debo, Debo is a rare talent. Yes. They have all these guys, and then you sit there and look at the right side of their offensive line again today. It's oh like, God. oh man. And it's it's it, it's so easy to get excited about some aspects of who they are, and it's so hard to get excited overall because you're worried about those things that could doom them in the end. I have a note that I just said. Uh, I go their their entire offense is. Please no one fuck up until we get the ball to Debo, Ayuk, or Kittle. Like, That's just exactly no, what it is. Just, and then Ayuk no makes a crazy up. play at the end. <laughs> just hey, Ola, don't screw up. Jimmy, don't screw up. Please, just get just get get the ball out. I mean, they had one. Uh, the Bengals got a sack. They just ran a simple. They, <laughs> I feel bad for the 49ers, the line coach. They try to help. They gave chip help with Kittle. They ran just a little simple game, and uh, uh, the right guard and the right tackle end up Brunskill and them end up sandwiching each other like. They ended up stomach to stomach. And then like, and it was two free runners ended up being a sack. And I was just like, Oh God. And that's with chip help trying to help out. I was like, Oh no. But it's like, yeah. But if once you get the ball out and get to one of their hands and it's like, hell hell yeah, get to the firework factory. They just got to get there. Um, That's every single play for them though. So the Bengals lost today means that the Bengals, Ravens and bills all lost. The Browns beat the Ravens. Let's talk about that game really briefly here. I thought that Baker looked so much better than he has looked for a good chunk of the year. Not great. He throws that pick, and then he almost he wanted to throw another one. He did. I mean, there was that ball that got tipped twice that he he tried to throw another interception later <laughs> he in the game. Hit the same Ravens player like three times. Like <laughs> it, it, he tried to give it. He tried to give him another one, but he was 15 of his first 17. I thought yep. he, physically he looked better. Thought their passing game looked better overall. Thought Donovan Peoples Jones had a couple of nice moments really today. Nice their passing game had some life to it that yep. has desperately been missing so i yep. thought it was a decent win for the browns i was the miles garrett play is insane i mean yeah. just he is, he is crazy. that is like 
<laughs> one of one type of play. Like so yeah. few guys can do that. Randy Gregory did something similar that we'll get to, but I thought that the Browns played well. The Lamar injury is just another weird, weird turn in what has been a lost season for the Browns, for the Ravens. Yeah. I mean, I know they're still winning the division, but if he misses any time, even if he doesn't miss time, it just feels like they're out of gas. Like that's what it feels like to me. It just feels like they're exhausted. out of gas again to no fault of their own. <laughs> yep. I know you, I, I, that's all I wrote about is like, you just feel bad for them because yeah, it's just like, I'm, they're trying, but at a certain it, point you just have the season from hell. Like you're yeah. snake bit and there's nothing you can do about it. I, I knew that their coaches probably were just like, okay, we're not changing what, because on defense, they're still running man, even with like, they're like the fourth and fifth corners, cause like every play and blitzing and all that. Cause they're just like, Hey, we are what we are, whatever. Let's just get through this. I'm not ch- like, it, you know, Wink's just not like coach Martindale's not like, Oh, I'm changing this up. He's like, I, I, I'm it's week 14. Like <laughs> we've already had our bye, but it's, we've come uh, too far now. We've come too far. Exactly. Like, and like the Lamar injury, like anyone that was, anyone that had a comment about like, Oh, this is scrambling quarterbacks. It was a screenplay that he was just trying to create an angle for the throw. So it was just a freak incident. And that's, that's, what this whole season has felt like for the Ravens, just a bunch of freak incidents, one after another. Like just even when, as soon as the running back incidents happened in August, when it was like, boom, 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 all in a week getting hurt. It was like, might not be our year. Might have to, maybe we should move the stadium about 50 feet to the right. Like maybe we bear, like we're on top of something. <laughs> and th- it's their effort here and their overall resilience has been admirable. Yeah. But at a certain point, you run out of gas. And I think yeah. that they have reached that point. Right, so they're eight and five. They have a one-game lead on the Browns and the Bengals in the division. So I think the Browns and the Bengals absolutely could both win the division if, if they string some wins together. And we still have to talk about the Steelers' offense. Oh, <laughs> <It's God>. just, <laughs> they're still the Browns. In it. I know, I know, they're still in it. I, it's frustrating. The Browns <laughs> have the Raiders, the Packers, the Steelers, and the Bengals. Right? Yeah. Yep. The Packers is obviously a really tough game. They absolutely could win two of those and then be looking at a. Winner loser leaves town match with the Bengals in week 18. Like that should be fun. 100% could happen. The Bengals have the Broncos, who are somehow still feisty and in this thing. They're also seven and six. The Ravens, the Chiefs, and the Browns. I mean, this could go a bunch of different ways. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at the standings overall, the Colts, Bills, Browns, Bengals, and Broncos are all seven and six. Anything is on the table here. It is. It's going to be a really weird last month of the season. Uh, I still feel like, I mean, the Colt, the Colts have a really rough stretch. The Colts have the Patriots. They have the Cardinals. Oh, it's so they have Patriots home. Are they at, at Arizona? Or they, I think they are at Arizona. It's on Christmas. (sighs) It's on Christmas day. I can't let's, let's look here. Yeah. Let's look. Let's let's, let's, let's look here. Terrible radio here. So it's at Arizona on Christmas Day. Okay. So I mean that that's a, that's a tough stretch. So I mean it's, I mean it's anybody's ball game. It's it so is. crazy to think about. I still think that the Ravens. I would not be surprised if they fell off here, but it is oh, yeah. a tight tight race in the AFC. And yeah. the Titans won today. The news came out. I think Ian Rapport reported that it sounds like Derrick Henry will be back before the playoffs or a little bit before. And okay. if they get Henry back and AJ Brown back and they might have a big enough lead where if they get healthy, who knows what can happen. So it's going to be a wild final <laughs> month. I'm we sure we didn't talk about for a month. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Gentlemen, you have my curiosity, but now you have my attention. All right. The Kansas City Chiefs are back. Yeah. They have my attention. I am I am comfortable saying that they are back. They destroy the Raiders oh. today, 48 to 9. And, you know, some of that is turnovers, but that's the story with this team a little bit, right? Through seven weeks, they're negative 10 in turnover differential. Think about how many little tiny bounces of the ball and tipped passes and is how unlucky they seemed. In the last seven weeks, they are plus 10 there we go. in the turnover differential. They are zero on the season. They are even in the turnover columns on the year. And that is what the last seven weeks have looked like. And they've won six games in a row. So you have a, some turnover luck, a defense that is surging like we talked about, and an offense that is still capable of making those chunk plays that they did today. And now this team is at the top of the AFC potentially, and they look utterly terrifying. Yeah. Like we said, they're Michael Byers. They just are, keep coming. You got to kill them. You got to torch them, chop their head off, freeze them, whatever you want to do. It's like they, it, we talk about get right games and it's <laughs> chiefs get their confidence against a Gus Bradley defense. It seems like it's like, I, <laughs> I, I can only compare it to a guy dunking. And then like, he has his, you know, knee in the guy's chest and it gets you know lifted higher like that's that's the chiefs are like hey they're already rising about the dunk on teams but it was like oh it's gus bradley and they go even higher (laughs) and dunk on it because it's watching this team it was it wasn't even perfect but it was it felt like it was like okay they're figuring things out they hit the one uh they hit the long play to hardman early on they, it was like a first or second down they went full like seven man protection they're like a third down protection they're like chip helping it was like oh now they did like that down. a lot to, they did a they're, lot in this game they're down up shot plays now and it's like okay they're doing that on first and second down now they're not waiting till third and nine to do it and when you know defenses could tee off on them or rally to tackle and stuff so it's like okay they're doing that saw a couple of oldie but goodies like they ran curl flat today i can't remember they haven't run curl flat forever Curl flat's a staple NFL, just football concept. It's literally what it sounds like. Two curl routes, two flat routes, a, a, ball, a guy over the middle. So they hit Kelsey on it because that's the first read on it. But again, when you have good players just around these simple routes and having space to work with, those little five-yard gains for a normal player turn into 14-yard gains for Travis Kelsey. But it's like, so they're chipping. They're, aren't just, they're, running, they're actually running straight run plays as opposed to doing RPOs. It's like, they came out of the bye with some tweaks and it's their stuff. It's not anything like new or crazy, but it's just like, Hey, we cut out this part of our game plan or our playbook. And we emphasize these different parts of our playbook. So that's just the offense and this defense that we've talked about before. It's like, they were built to be like a full press defense and basketball where it's like, they go on runs. Hey, Hey, we yep. might give up a couple threes, but we're going to just press you, press you, press you and just generate. And you saw it in force today, but they're in between that those turnovers. They're still playing a lot better defense. We talked about on Friday. They they really are. They're playing more sound defense. Their guys are stepping up. Chris Jones moving back inside, helping out everybody. It, it's just 
yeah, it's like you feel the momentum with this team. I totally agree. I mean, Frank Clark had a couple of really nice rushes today, like pretty spin moves. Like Their four-man rush looks really, really good when those four guys are on the field. Yep. And then they're creating turnovers. Yep. And that stuff is going to come back to normal for the most part. And if you let them around, it was always going to find its level. And that's yep. exactly what happened. And I loved what they were doing on third down today because they were a lot of chip help on third and long. And the mindset there is as long as he has time, he's going to make something happen. Yep. And then you had that third and eight play where he had a really nice chunk play to a hill deep over the middle of the field. You had that third and extra long where he chucked it all the way back across the field to oh, hills. Right. They had so many of those plays today because like, all right, we're just going to allow him to have time. We're going to chip every single time on those rushers, and we yep. trust that as long as he has a little bit of time, we can find something down the field. And that's exactly what happened. And I still don't think they've totally found their groove offensively. Like I still feel like there's a comfort level that they can reach, but they're going to have those splash plays every once in a while. When you combine that with the way that they're playing defense, it's scary. I mean, they yeah. are very, very frightening when you look at the complexion of the way the AFC looks at this moment. Exactly. And it's also stuff like the drops. Like you, you mentioned like, yeah, the tip balls for interceptions. Like, okay, their best players were like Hill and Kelsey are like leading the league in drops. It's like, that's not going to sustain for an entire year. It's no. like that talent just doesn't go away. It's just, that's what it is. It's the regression. And then you remember, it's like, oh yeah, this offense can go supernova at any single time. Like any play can just be right down your throat. And that's terrifying for any team that plays against them because now the, the bar has been lifted for them. It's like Mahomes, they don't have to be perfect on offense because the defense is playing so well. And that just helps. It keeps the pressure off them, but they're, they're going to figure out their groove. And I mean, if they're just tweaking it, like they just tweaked it today or the last, actually since the bye week, even the week before the bye, it's like, okay, they're fine. They're finding their, uh, you know, you have to change the, the flu shot every year because the flu changes. Like they found their 2021, you know, flu vaccine. That's what they're going for this year. And I, I think they found it. There was a play, it was a, it was like a two-play stretch uh, in the second quarter where Mahomes ex extended a play. He was mindful of where the line of scrimmage was, and he found Pringle for that chunk mm -hmm. play that got him inside the five. And that exact play where he's running toward the line of scrimmage, putting a ton of mustard on the ball over the middle like that, that was the interception they had against the Chargers, remember? Yeah. Where mm -hmm. it's that exact type of action. It's a little bit too hot. The receiver, it's a tip ball over the middle of the field yep. that gets picked off. Instead, Pringle makes the catch. Down inside the five, they score a touchdown. Uh, immediately on the next drive is the Foster Moreau catch over the middle that he just throws into Tyron Matthews' hands. Yeah. And that, to me, is a perfect encapsulation of how their season has shifted. Like yes. It's the same looking plays. They're just bouncing their way now. Yep. And the defense is playing so much better and more sound even beyond the turnovers. That's what it feels like in this moment. Yeah. And when you have an AFC that's as wide open as this is, and they're starting to kind of get this traction, I'd much rather have the luck going regressing this way when you're hitting December as opposed to yes. getting real lucky. It's like, good time. Hey, let's get back to even. This is a good time to get back to even. You know, season's almost, season's wrapping up. So, yeah, I, I it's, hey, a football is not a circle. It's an oblong shaped thing. <laughs> it bounces in a million different directions. It's, it's impossible to predict. And the fact that it's like, okay, now we're getting a couple of those breaks. Yeah. And they're playing better. It's, that's a good formula. All right. Next one here. Dallas Cowboys defense, <laughs> you have my attention. Holy I, shit. <laughs> Jesus. How do you block those, that? Those three guys today, they all had moments, right? Mm -hmm. Randy Gregory comes out, and we talked about it. 
the two most impressive defensive plays of the day to me were the Miles Garrett strip sack touchdown that he re- returned by himself yeah. and Randy Gregory tipping that screen to himself. I mean, the body control necessary on that play, they're cutting him in order to kind of get him out of the way yep. to throw a screen pass. He guys that can play cut blocks, JJ Watt was always incredible at that where guys go at low at him and his hands in order to fight that off and then still make a play. That mm-hmm. is so hard. So Gregory does that and then tips the ball to himself. Demarcus Lawrence has a sack at one point in that game. The last play of the game that was the fumble by Kyle Allen that ended up not becoming or that was a fumble. I can't even remember. Yeah, it now. was fumble. Yeah, that's a, a Gregory sack. But Lawrence causes that sack. So now you yeah. just drop him back into the equation. And that's before we even get to what Micah Parsons is doing right now. It's insane. Well, now he doesn't have to line up on the edge. And so they, because those two guys are on the edge and now you're getting against guards and they had one where he's off ball and just by the protection point, he ended up the running backs guy. And it's like, yeah, that's not, that's not a good formula for an offense. That is like, that's what, that's how LT became LT was uh, a whole bunch of offenses, not understanding protections in the eighties and going like, well, we have a tight end blocking 56, you know, he's a linebacker by trade. And it's like, well, this is a different type of linebacker coming at you. And it's insane. It's absolutely insane. He and is. now they they can change up the looks now. Like he had, he was a Tampa dropper on one. Like he almost had yes a on the play where McLaurin got hurt. Yeah. He was a Tampa dropper running down the middle of the field, like twenty five yards down the field. Like yeah, he almost had a pick as an, another play where he was running down the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. And that's why people are like, oh, that you know, he's not as valuable as a linebacker. They should just have him as an edge rusher full time. Why? You have these three guys to do this. The uncertainty you can create with his ability to do all of this different stuff. There were multiple plays. The sack that he had that led to the fumble, that led to the touchdown, that is him coming off the left guard, coming off the right guard, who was Brandon Scherf, by the way. doesn't help that Heineke drops 13 yards into the backfield on that play. Part of the reason that he does it is because it's terrified. All that heat coming at him, he's trying anything he can to get back there. and. Parsons makes the sack, fumble, touchdown. On the play where they scored a touchdown to Sims, the the Chuck, the had desperation heaved on the left mm-hmm. sideline, they sent Parsons on that play. He dominated Eric Flowers. And that is when you have guys, so there's some guys when they're blitzers and they're as off-ball linebackers, they get sacks because they're free rushers. His ability to overpower guards coming from depth and still bend back toward the quarterback. I can't remember somebody that can do that. Yeah. Devin Usually, White has it a little bit. Yeah. But even that is more making guys miss in space and rather he's than more being like a able to straight line fast. You know, yes. like he's like a missile straight. Like freaking Parsons can like slither around and not lose any or speed. go through a guy or through the, a guy. Yeah. The, the, just yeah. the fact that he's that powerful in those yeah. moments where he can. The dip in the shoulder doesn't give you a lot of surface area, but he can still play through half of you. Mm-hmm. I can't remember somebody consistently doing it the way that he's doing it right now. Yeah, and he's a rookie. He's 22, 23. It's, yeah, it's pretty, insane. Pretty insane. Yeah, the 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 one the, the one where he freaking – it looked like LT when he depleted Heineke and like, oh, my God, it felt bad for him. Like, it was like, oh, God, because like, that hurts. The, that's what – in the movies and everything, you think as a quarterback, the blind shots from behind hurt. Those don't hurt at all because you're like loose and like you kind of just get on your face. They hurt relatively. <laughs> but uh, but the ones straight at the chest, 
that hurts really, really bad. And you got a 240 pounder that runs a 438 doing it full speed at you. Those really hurt. And on it, it's a seven step drop because it's mesh. And like as soon as like usually, uh, uh, like you said, he was terrified. A seven step drop, no chip help and stuff. You're taught as a quarterback to automate, you automatically hitch, right? It's designed. You hit the drop, you automatically hitch. He couldn't do it because it was like, he was like, oh, screw this. I'm backpedaling. Like, because he would, could, when you, you're not even finishing your drop. And there's already heat on you. It's like that is it's wild. It's rare. It's like it's rare. I mean, and that's and now with their, uh, the fact that they have these other two guys like Randy Gregory, all intents and purposes should have been a top five pick when he came out. He just said, you know, had other stuff. Um, but it was just that's that you see that talent coming. The investment that the Cowboys put into him. Now they're getting back tenfold. And it, and Demarcus Lawrence, he got hurt early in the year. But it was like even before that, the Tampa Bay game. He was dominant. He's a superstar. He's he one of the best edge rushers in he's the league. He's a star star. He's not like, oh, he's a good player. He's a star. Randy Gregory's playing like a star. Michael Parsons playing like a star. That's just those three. They, they have, have three guys. top 10 edge rushers right now. Yeah. Yep. They three. do. Yep. And, and they, they can deploy them at the same time. One of them it, as a linebacker, they can do yep. a bunch of different things. It's insane. It is. So if and you it, look at it. Their D tackles are good too. Like they can- yes. And Gall- <laughs> they got Gallimore back today. So if you look oh, at it, all right. Parsons has nine and a half sacks in the last six games. Most... <laughs> It's tied for the most sacks by a rookie in any six game span. He has 10 sacks on the year. He came into this game, according to PFF, with 47 pressures, which is tied for 14th in the NFL. Okay. He's not a full time rusher. (laughs) Every other person above him on that list had at least 90 more pass rush snaps than him. At least. So he was he's 14th in the league in pressures while rushing the passer about 60% as much as everyone else above him on that list. It's ridiculous. Do you think he's the defensive player of the year? No, I'm giving it to Garrett right now, but he's on the podium right now. Like, I think it's it's him, Watt, and Garrett. I think it's those three, but I'm going Garrett. But man, he's going to win one. He's going to win one, like, in his career. Like, there, I easily will say that right now. Like, it's like, what he's doing, he's a freak. He, he's I unbelievable. Can't. I think that Miles Garrett deserves it right now on a play play in play out what he has done affecting the game. He leads the league in pressures. He, he's been the most dominant pass rusher. And I think the most dominant defensive player in the NFL. Yeah. The splash plays from Parsons help. I absolutely think he could get the narrative momentum necessary yes. to end up winning this, but he looking at it, conceding that, it, okay, we think he will win one eventually. Can you remember someone affecting the game in this manner? He, this, he feels like what Anthony Barr was supposed to be. When we were talking about Anthony Barr coming out, I think Anthony Barr has been a really good player, player. but just this ability to be a full-time linebacker or a full-time edge player to to dominate in both ways when he wants to. And he has issues in coverage, right? Every off-ball linebacker has issues in coverage as a rookie, but the play he made against the the Saints, that recovery speed down the left sideline to make that play and tip that ball to have it intercepted, the athleticism in space, even if the awareness isn't there, plus what he does moving forward at the quarterback. I cannot remember somebody in his physical package that can do all of these things in the last however many years that yeah. I've watched. I, I mean, it's because it, I, I don't want to compare him to him, but it's, it's LT is the only other one like that's and Julius Peppers as a rookie, but he was in a linebacker like that's it. Like in my I'm trying to just grasp at straws trying to think of like guys, but it's historic. Like that's the best way to put it. it it's like what he's doing right now is it's. He's a star 14 games into his career, 
And not just like, oh, because he plays for the Cowboys and plays for all that. It's like, no, he's dominating games. He's Brandon Scherf is like an all-pro guard and he's throwing them back. Like it's insane. And that's a linebacker wearing number 11 doing this stuff. It, it's he, he's ridiculous. He absolutely is ridiculous. And um, yeah, I don't know. I still think Miles Garrett's defense player of the year, but the fact that we're even having this conversation says something. Are you worried about the Cowboys offense? I'm worried about Dak's calf. More than I thought. I thought it'd be healthier right now. The the last interception, he it was bugging him because he pulls up on the naked. And I get I get Dalton Schultz was settling in the soft spot, but you don't pull up on naked because you're worried about a guy coming from behind. It's because he doesn't want to plan off his left foot, like a single left foot throw. You know, just how he heard it. Remember on the CD throw to uh, against the Patriots on the last play of the game. So obviously that's bugging him a little bit. He had a scramble in the first quarter. It was in the red zone. He took a sack because he ran out negative one yard. That's still one of my least favorite rules. I think it was a zero yard gain, but it counts as a sack in the stats. Mm-hmm. It's all oh God. Defensive that's rule committee defensive rule committee guys. Like not like, <laughs> hey, how do we how do we get a couple of little cheap sacks? Because Burrow, I think, had one too. But anyways, he so I think that's bugging him because also the interception, he's thrown like three of those where it's it's an over to the left. And on all three of them, he short steps. And if you just short step as a quarterback, you sail balls. Like, yeah. cause you're, you're short step and then you, you have to, your arm drops, you, you know, it just, it messes up your all mechanics and he had room in front of him and his mechanics are fantastic. So that's, that's actually how, you know, something's not right. Cause his mechanics are so good that you're like, Ooh, that looks a little, like if Mahomes does something, it's just like, well, it's Mahomes. He moves like Gumby and like, but with Dak, Dak's a, he's a robot. And I mean, that as a, as a compliment, he's a quarterback playing robot and a uh, robot playing quarterback, I should say. And it was like, oh, man, that just looked weird. Like, it came out of his hand weird. And he had one against the Saints like that. He had another one recently like that. And so, yeah, I just don't think he's right. I'm not too worried about the offense because they always still have the answers. But I do think they need to start getting some change-ups. These defenses are known what they're doing. It's we, We've complained about the Cowboys offense before being static and all those types of things. It's That's what it's feeling like again. It's feeling very, like, predictable. And that, that's what was so fun. We saw a little spark in the second half, like the little CD lamb handoff, but that was a third down call. We need some more first and second down kind of twists, some new, like a little sugar sprinkled on some of this stuff. Because right now, to me, it feels like defenses are going, hey, they run stop routes every single time on the outside. We're driving on that shit. Like, you know, and I, I just see it kind of cropping up more and more and more. I think they'll be fine. They have too many good players. Dak is too good not to, but it's like they they need some they need some changeups because uh, people are starting to wait on their fastball. I think that the fact that they can win this way and that their defense can carry them is a testament to the way this team has been built. Yeah, it's a good sign that they the offense doesn't have to play well for them to Correct. win games like this. I think the concerns about the offense are concerns about their ceiling. Ultimately, it's like yeah. how good can they be? It's a good sign that they're they are still winning games when the offense hasn't found itself here over the last month or so. But we sure having to play against the Cardinals, the Bucks, the Packers here as the season goes on. We're in yep. the playoffs. You're going to need that offense clicking in order to beat a team like it's that. It's a bloodbath, so you better have answers. Yeah, that's exactly it's, right. It's the MC is tough. <laughs> All right, it's time now for the State Farm surprisingly great performance of the week, presented by State Farm. I wanted to talk about the Broncos running backs. I don't think we've yeah. mentioned Javante Williams' name on this show the entire season because the Broncos offense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, the Broncos offense was pretty good early in the year, but it was mostly because Teddy was really slinging it and their offense was incredibly efficient throwing the ball. But today, 184 rushing yards, four total touchdowns for their running backs. And the thing that I thought was so impressive 
They had 184 rushing yards, and they averaged 4.7 yards per carry today, the Broncos did, without a run longer than 16 yards. Oh, yeah. That is, you just bleed the game out, right? They were football. (laughs) They controlled the game so well. And I, you know, their offensive line has some interesting pieces to it. And I think that they're a decent unit. Thought that Quinn Miners did some really cool stuff today in space. You know, Mike Munchak's a fantastic offensive line coach. And I think that that their ability to kind of function as a unit is is pretty darn good. They're 14th in rushing DVOA this year. You know, it's not fantastic, but they're a solid offense. Mm -hmm. And I think that. The one-two punch they have with Williams and Gordon is so interesting because Williams is this incredible tackle breaker, and Gordon is a really good zone runner. So they have that one-two punch, and I think that it really works when you mix those two guys in together. Yeah, it, it has a lot of the same vibes as the Browns, like maybe like a Diet Coke version of that. A little yeah, bit, you know, like really, really good O line coach, two really, really good or two really, really good backs that are kind of. Similar, but not like they, it's a different little flavor for each. And even today, like what I, what I like so much about watching the Broncos run game, just like actually the Browns run game is that they can run a lot of different things. Well, but like, so like they're very game plan dependent. Like one week they'll run power a little bit more. One week they'll run do a little bit more. So like this week they were split zone. There's split zone. Yes. Ton of split zone today. Ton of split zone. And we've talked about split zone before with Derek Henry. Because what that can do, if you have a big back like Javon, it, it's perfect for both of their backs. You have the glider and Melvin Gordon, who's a big body. We don't realize how big Melvin is. And like, but he can just find those spots. You can see his vision working and he kind of weaves in, in and out and gets those gains. And Javante Williams, just like Derrick Henry, I'm not saying the same scale, but like the same type of big back, is split zone turns into almost like a designed cutback play mm-hmm. not cutback but you're getting north against the against the flow of the defense because you have the split zone is zone it's a zone block but you have the tight end crossing the formation and kicking out the end and, and it helps too because no fan you know isn't the greatest head-on blocker but this is a way to get him on the field and just like utilize him as well is now you're having all these guys tackling from the side so if you have Javante Williams, 220-something pounds, who loves contact, it's like that's not a lot of fun for defenses to just, oh, God, I got to hit this guy. I'm not taking him head on and getting a form-fit tackle on him. I got to like body blow my neck and shoulder right into his like his thigh. It's not a lot of fun. And it's really – it's cool. Like, And then then they can get to like the naked stuff off of that where it's like, hey, now we can just manufacture cheapies in the passing game and get like explosive plays just because they're so worried about a run game. And this is what it is. It's good sound run game. It's really good running backs. And like Lloyd Cushenberry's playing well for him, the center. Like, I mean, he's he's fine. Like, I'm not They're a really a solid group over Solid. And I think solid. that the way that Gordon can kind of see that split zone stuff unfold and just yeah. like how smooth he is in that. And then the way that Williams can just make himself right with his ability to make, to make guys miss. If you yeah. look at the numbers right now, coming into this week, Javante Williams was second in the NFL, according to PFF, in missed tackles forced on a hundred fewer touches than Jonathan Taylor, who leads the league. He's easily been the best tackle breaker in the NFL as a running back. That was which, his MO. That is a sticky yeah. thing. That that's is what he a was sticky college. talent. That is yep. for the, being able to make guys miss tends to translate from college to the NFL. When he figures out how to play. And when he gets a feel for the position and he starts to see stuff unfold, he's going to be really, really good. And so he's a great pass protector already, which is like yep. as a rookie because he's got size and he's he's obviously smart. And and Munchak, have, that's where a great O line coach helps too. Is that like they put that on him? They're like, no, we want to get this guy on the field. Like 
being a three down back as a rookie is very, very promising. So what do you think? What do you make of the Broncos right now? They're seven and six. They're still in this thing. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to ask. I mean, they're still hanging around. It feels like they might have fallen off, but they're just a really solid team overall. What do you make of them and how they fit into the playoff picture in the AFC overall? We kind of we felt like that we did roster check-ins this summer and we were like, hey, they got a pretty good roster. They got some good players. I think the the offense now is getting healthy, getting you know Sutton and Judy back. That helps. Like they just have a ni- whole bunch of nice, just nice players. Like they just just do. It's just kind of like a it's like the Bills defense is their offense. Like, you know, it's just a bunch of good, solid players. Like Teddy's not gonna screw it up. And their not- defense is it's not it's, gonna be fun to play against if they not. make the playoffs. Over the I mean, there it's been a an uneven year from their defense to say the least. They, but I still don't think you want to play against that team. This defense took it to the Cowboys and the Chargers in two out of three weeks. Like yes. it took it to them. Like actually like dictated the game. So it's like they can do that to anybody. It's I feel like to me they're a feisty wildcard team. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like they, yeah. they get in, you're like, God, this could be a pain in the ass. Like we we might be I agree. Town. Yeah, but it's are you scared of Teddy? No, but Teddy like does a lot of nice things. Like he's a replay is out. He's going to check it down when he needs to. He's, he's the ultimate game manager. And I mean, that as a, as a compliment, but it's, it's, he's Brad Johnson. Like that's what he is. <laughs> that's what Teddy Bridgewater is. He's Brad Johnson, but it's, it's getting to this. It's like watching this team. It's like, okay, they, they don't, if they made the playoffs, I wouldn't be like, wow, they got lucky. It's like, no, it's, it's a good solid team. And I, I want to talk one, just before we move on, just mention, you know, obviously, what happened at the beginning of the game today with only having 10 players on the oh, field yeah. as just a way to kind of honor Demarius Thomas and, and what happened this weekend. Um, it's tragic. I mean, there's no other way around it. I mean, 33 years old. I mean, we all remember what he was during his career. I, I didn't know him at all. I, I remember the, the only small kind of story I have. I remember in 2014, the year after they played the... Uh, the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I was doing a story about Cam Chancellor and Demarius Thomas is the one who got hit by Cam Chancellor over the middle at the start of that game. And I was doing a story about Cam and kind of those moments that he'd had. And I called Demarius Thomas to ask him about it. And so many guys would just not pick up the phone. It's a bad moment for them. There's, they would have no interest in talking about it. And he was just so considerate and thoughtful. And just the fact that he was willing to be like, yeah, you know, and, and tell me about it and all of that. It just seems like the kind of guy he was. He seemed like a very generous person. And obviously, you know, it's a loss for the NFL community. And I think that the way that they honored him at the beginning of that game today and just some of those moments with Justin Simmons bringing the ball over to the decal after the interception. I mean, it just one of those things where it's hard not to feel something in those moments. So I just wanted to mention that before we move on, because it's something that has been on my mind. Yeah. And seeing the outpour of players, coaches, yeah. everyone that's around him, kind of like he, he was a very thoughtful guy. It seemed like, and I mean, that's yes. not just like, Oh, giving and everything, which he was, but more of a, I think he was, he's more than just an athlete. I think that was a better way to put it. Like he's a, a, a very thoughtful human being and you could tell his conversations with people affected people positively. And so it's a loss. And I met him once in high school camp. Uh, he was either, I think we're the same class, but I met him once. That's exactly how he was then. I mean, he was brief, you know, quarterback receiver, like, Hey, and he was just like, throw it as far as he can. And I was like, I tried, dude. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's all I can say is just like the, the, the the response like really reflects what type of guy he was and it's the type of type of athlete you want in pro sports that's that's all i can say about it and i just yeah it's a tough loss 
Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why don't you explain this to me like I am an eight-year-old? All right. Every Sunday, some stuff happens that we need a little bit more context on. We need a little bit more explanation. I want to talk about what's going on in Jacksonville right now. Obviously, it's <laughs> been a strange week. We'll get to the report that Tom Pelissero had this weekend. They get beat up again today. They get shut out against the Titans. As Urban Meyer meets Mike Vrabel at midfield, a guy who was on his staff... For multiple years at Ohio State, just completely blows him off, has this dead look in his eyes. I don't even know where to start with this. I mean, it is. Can you remember a first in all, like a first season for a coach that has been more of a disaster than this one has been for Urban Meyer in Jacksonville? Like Lou Holtz, like <laughs> in the seventies, we're trying to run the triple option in the NFL, like before I was born. Oh. It's, I mean, it's when we were talking about, we had a discussion about the Jaguars uh, or about Trevor Lawrence and talking about his situation. And I was like, man, I'm like disappointed in Marvin Jones. Like I was like, man, you know, he's a smart, hardworking dude. Like he's been in this offense before. Like he just is lacking detail. I understand why now. Like, and I think that's, that's, I understand why. I'm sorry, Marvin. I wasn't too harsh on you then, but it was like, I I get maybe the lack of uh, urgency you might have, but it's just gotten worse. I mean, it's just been a domino failure. Like it's just like the, starting right off the bat, hiring the strength coach. Then the free agency, he was just stunned by the process of free agency. He thought it was going to be like recruiting and stuff like that. We've joked about it before. The NFL free agency is highest bidder, or, or if there's two teams that are high, high bids, then okay, then maybe you you know schmooze them a little bit. But he just thought it was like I'm going to give hundred dollar handshakes. We're good. Like they're going to come on in. The Travis Etienne pick when Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, or even Rondell Moore is on the board. And James Robinson is already on his team. And, and then Robinson he goes and signs Carlos Hyde. And and I mean, just prefers tri- Carlos Hyde. It's, it's not even fodder. Like, you know, like, hey, just an innings eater. Just take five reps away from him. It's like, no, he's like, no, I prefer this guy. And then uh, the Tim Tebow signing. Uh, I mean, the signing. And this was a joke at first, but it, like seems true now. It's like, re, like basically he's signing guys that he remembers from the recruiting trail from five years ago. All the five stars that it's just like every guy has to be a five star, like LeCron Treadwell and all those guys. It's like, it's bad, man. And that's not even getting to this last month with the James, James Robinson ordeal. Uh, I think is the best way to put it, but just like all the press conferences with that saying, oh yeah, that's, I don't micromanage. And it turns out it's like, you you're throwing your you're throwing some dudes under the bus, and that's not right. It, it's it's a very very huge lack of leadership. I mean, obviously, I mean lack of leadership. The Tom Palacero report that came out on NFL Network earlier this weekend 
apparently during a staff meeting, if you guys haven't heard this, I'm sure you have. Yeah. Apparently Urban Meyer said, was talking about how he was a winner. All of his assistants were losers and then was asking them to defend their resumes during Darren the Bevel meeting. held up his Super Bowl ring and said, yeah. <laughs> I, I he just, would never do that, but <laughs> I, I just don't, I can't even comprehend that. Like you hired all these guys. Yeah. Like this yeah, is your staff. Blanche. You put this staff together. His carte blanche over the whole organization. Like he, he can do whatever he wants. Uh, uh, and then coming out today after the game and uh, being asked what the problem was, you're like, yeah, well, you know, there's a leaker. You know, as soon as I find out who that guy is, he's gonna be go- he's gonna be out of here. I don't understand why he should be the coach tomorrow. Yeah, like, I, I mean, don't just... typically do this. Where I, I'm very hesitant and very slow to call for people's jobs because I know what that entails. But if you're going to be belittling your entire staff yeah. and I mean, at a certain point, why is he the coach? Like yeah. what, what reason is there? What argument is there in favor of him being the coach there anymore? If he's going to do that to his staff members, if he's going to be alienating guys like Marvin Jones, if yes. Trevor Lawrence is going to be the one having to come to him and say, I want you to play James Robinson, you are alienating and you are risking the long-term health of your organization and your young players by keeping him in place as the coach right now. Just let Bevel handle it for the next month. Yeah. Why? What's the Good downside there. at this point? Oh, and like the, it's the embarrassing that, to let him keep doing this. Yeah. The fact that Trevor Lawrence, who's like, yeah, I, I don't mean in a bad way, but aloof, like he's just kind of like, hey, I, you know, it's just kind of how he vibes. The fact that he was in a press conference going like, yeah, we're going to play this guy. We've had a discussion and we're playing this guy. And it was like, oh, shit. Like, all right, you pissed off this dude. That's your star. Like that organization is going to care about 16 first. And that's like what Urban doesn't understand. It's a lack of leadership, lack of accountability. He never has answers. Like even at post-game press conferences, the the press, I've watched way too many this year because I care about Trevor Lawrence. And it's so I watch these press conferences and- he doesn't have any details about the games. Like the press will go like, so -so so-and-so went out like, uh, or you guys had three turnovers today. And he was just, Oh, we had three. Wow. Wow. I didn't know that. And I was like, you get the Cincinnati bagels game. He was like, Oh, after the turnover. And I I think this is how it went. He was like, after the turnover. And someone was like, "Uh, you guys didn't have a turnover. And he was like, Oh, he like pounded the table. And it was just like, how do you not know this? Like, what, what are you doing during the game? Are you just hanging out? Like, like, where's your mind go? And you, I know you're supposed to be a grinder and be there all the hours. And it's just like, so what do you do? Like, what what, what do you do? And so like you said, I, I am not one because it's a tough profession. And it's just I know how hard it is. Trust me. And I know what it can do to families and all that stuff. But it's like, it's bad. And it's like, this is just this is as bad as it gets. That's that's the best way I put it. It's the as bad as it can ever get as a first year head coach. This was always a low floor move. It is twice as bad as I ever imagined it would be. Yeah. And the way they look on the field, the way every single report that's come out, the way oh. that he's handled it, just the optics of it, preseason body losses. language, it, Pre-se- it's, every you- single aspect of it is it's truly embarrassing. Yeah. Like the they they're it's been rough for them for the last few years, but to get the stink off of them from this is going to be really really difficult. I mean, they have dug themselves a hole for whoever the next coach there is going to be. Uh, there is no possible way if you're Shad Khan, you can look yourself in the mirror and justify doing this again. I don't know if you can justify keeping him around for the next month. The, the fact that he's making like assistants and players be the bigger men in, in public at those press conferences and stuff after throwing them under the bus all the time. It's like, 
that's not a head coach. Head coaches, head coaches and quarterbacks. That's that's why you get paid the big bucks. Is yeah. you take you you're wearing a bulletproof vest every time you go up there, and you take it. That's just what it is. Yes, once in a while you have to send some messages and have to do that, but it's like you're taking the brunt. Ah, you know, I got to be better. I got to you know really help out. But he's just like, yeah, you got to ask them. I don't micromanage. It's like, dude, like you just do not do that as a head coach. Like I, I. <laughs> It's bad. I, I just it's it actually kind of like ticks you off. Like it's just like that's yeah, that's what it's it is. It should, it should be I mean, a fun year. It should be such a fun year for them. It should be into the new era with Trevor Lawrence. And it's like it feels awful. Like you said, it's like the stink that they've had before is just like now they just douse themselves in it. <sighs> All right. Next one here that I I just want to touch on this briefly. Something else that requires a little bit of explanation. The Panthers quarterback situation is an absolute nightmare. The way that they're, they've handled this. So yeah. you look at it. This is the team in the last 12 months that's had four starting quarterbacks after they pulled Cam Newton today. They benched Cam Newton today to put P.J. Walker in for a little bit. So even if they put him back in the game, they have consciously moved on for either in total or for little stretches from Teddy Bridgewater and then from Sam Darnold and now from Cam Newton to put throw PJ Walker in there. They have fired their offensive coordinator. At a certain point, you have to step back and have a little bit of self-awareness about what is wrong here. I mean, you can keep firing offensive coordinators or yanking quarterbacks and switching them out. Uh, This thing feels to be rotten at a much deeper level than whoever's calling plays or throwing passes. Yeah, it's just changing their mind every single day, what they want to be, what they want to do. Like, it's there's no excuse. It's like, even if Cam is 75% of Cam, it's still Cam over PJ Walker. It's like, it's pretty like XFL PJ Walker and Cam Newton, who was starting for the Patriots last year and like, Okay, like it's there. Even the contract situation with those quarterbacks, with yes. Teddy and all that, it's like, oh my god, what are you guys like? They're just, just every day. It's like there's compounding a, a single mistake. It's like you, you know, you guys had a top ten pick this year, right? And you know, could probably if you really want to have a new direction with the quarterback, like that's kind of a not, not a bad way to find a guy. Um, and even if you look at like personnel, where all the guys come from, like player player wise, the fact that they have so many Temple players. And it's just like, okay, Urban Meyer having a whole bunch of Ohio State and Florida players is one thing. Those are it's Ohio State and Florida. Temple. Like Hassan Reddick's a good player, don't get me wrong. But it's like it's that just shows kind of like what their thinking is with the roster building. It's familiarity and like, hey, this doesn't work. I'm gonna go with something that's comfortable. I don't know, Cam. So hey, PJ, let's pretend that we're in Philadelphia right now. Like that's that's what it felt like to me. And it was like in the second after, like, oh shoot, I shouldn't have done that. All right, Cam, get back in there. It's like, what do you do? Like every I don't know where it's coming from, but it's it's just it just seems so scatterbrained. And it it's yeah, the vibe changes every single week. It's it's weird. It's weird. It's just weird. Like it's this, weird. It's bizarre. And bizarre. they're gonna be in the market for another quarterback this offseason. And <laughs> do you have any reason to have faith in their ability to choose nope. that quarterback or put him in the right spot or who they're gonna pick as their offensive coordinator? I mean, the lack of focus here and, and just the lack of vision. I mean, every the priorities. Yep. And they the way players, that they're chasing too. things That's so frustrating. It's like uh, <laughs> every ten minutes, it seems to change. I mean, yeah. them yanking him today after everything that, that that's happened, and then putting him back in the game. It's like this is <laughs> this is not real. You are not a serious franchise. No, it's 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 stuff that we make fun of other franchises for doing. Yes, that's, like. The Texans are so lucky right now that the, the Panthers are doing what they're doing and the Jags are doing what they're doing. Like it's the just Jets like, exist. The Jets exist. Oh God, yeah, it's it's a lot of stink right now. It's like you know the team with the worst record is one we feel the best about. That's the, the Lions. 
because <laughs> like, at least it's like they have an identity. It's like it's like some feel good vibes going on up there because it's this team. This uh, just watching it, it just seems like every even how they structured the offensive line. We haven't emphasized this enough. We've talked about it a couple times. It was like that going into the season with Cam Irving as your left tackle was like. It's like malpractice, like it yes. really is. And it's like Cam Irving's a, a fine backup. That's what's nice about him. He can play center. He can play tackle, guard. That's a backup. And then they're like, nope, you're our starting left tackle. It's and like they could have taken Rashawn Slater if they wanted to. Exactly. Even if we think J.C. Horn is going to be a good yeah. player, they, they, they put themselves in this position. Yep. They had a chance to either have a new quarterback in the top 10 yep. or draft a left tackle in the top 10. And it's... These are all self-inflicted wounds. It is a rough situation there. Just because even if they, we have some confidence in some of the players there, mm-hmm. and we feel like, all right, we'll see what happens this offseason. I just think that the way that they've handled this, it's hard to feel good about their decision-making process and what it's going to look like here, even into the offseason. Yeah, it's like when they took a, a Derek Brown early to last year. It was like, ooh, maybe, this, maybe they're looking at the different things <laughs> than they should be looking at. Yeah. <laughs> uh... As your fingers start to slide down the front of the belt, what you going to do when Hulkamania and the largest arms in the world destroy you? All right. (laughs) There are a couple different people in contention here. I wanted to at least mention Justin Herbert's name with that throw that he had today. He had a few throws today. But that bomb to Jalen Guyton is just a one-of-one, out-of-this-world throw. I, I... like I watched it uh, so many times because I was just in awe of it. The camera guy like had no idea. He was like, this throw's still going. He like stopped the pan. It was like a movie. He like stopped the pan. He was like, oh shoot, I gotta keep going. He had like, half a second to reset. Yeah. He escaped from the pocket and he had half a second to reset to even well, get that ball off is insane. Insane. It, it, the oh my God. it's just like all right, he was like full speed out it broke contain. Like he was like it wasn't just like a little trot, like getting rhythm, like crow hop. It was full speed, stop on a dime, and then torque your body to throw it 60-something yards. It's it's insane. It's 65-yard dime for a touchdown. And it was still going. It, it against was, a two-high coverage, he ran th- straight down the middle of the two safeties. It was like, a, oh, my God. It was like a Culpepper to Moss one. Like, that's what it was. But it was, like, harder, like, with the difficulty level cranked all the way up. Like, it – it was awesome. Like I like that was one of the throws of the year. Like he's just he's doing this weekly now. I mean, I that's what it's so much fun to watch. I, he's he's incredible. Like congrats to getting him in the QB draft. Oh, thank you. I got him <laughs> sixth among among all the quarterbacks in the NFL, and he still has two more years on his rookie deal after this, plus fifth year option. So I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> I am not. We're not going to give it to Justin Herbert today, though. I want to give it to Will McClay and the Cowboys front office. Yeah. And we talked about it a little bit, but their ability to build this team in such a way that the offense doesn't even have to be clicking and there are for them to win games and for them to be going to win the NFC East, going to fight for the number one seed in the NFC. The fact that they have a top five defense by DVOA this year, we never expected that. No. Ever. We we're hoping what they'd be Micah average. Pa- yes. <laughs> what Micah Parsons has been for them, what Trayvon Diggs has done in his, as an ascending player. This year, they drafted Micah Parsons in the first round and Odigazua in the, in the third round. C- Last year, they drafted C.D. Lamb and Trayvon Diggs in the first two rounds, plus Neville Gallimore and Tyler Bias, both of whom are starters. 2019, they traded their first-round pick for Amari Cooper. They got Tony Pollard in the fourth round. 2018, they drafted Michael Gallup in the third round and Dalton Schultz in the fourth round. And obviously, the 2016 draft, they get 
a top five, top seven quarterback in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. You look at yep. the amount of talent they continue to stockpile here and the fact that it has given them different avenues to win games. I mean, the fact that their defense looks like this and they have all of these ascending players and that every single year it feels like one or two more guys get dropped into the equation here, which is the overall talent level on this roster. They've done a fantastic job building this thing. Yeah. I mean, they might have to like send a, a, the Broncos a gift basket for taking Sertan so they can get Parsons because <laughs> it's like they I mean we talk about teams pivoting like their game plans or anything like that they pivoted as a franchise going into Parsons because they were going corner all the way that's like one remember we were doing the draft show and it was like they showed like the the front office like in the little the draft room and it was like it was emptied because they were like oh god what do we do now well it worked out for them and hitting first round picks is one thing but hitting on draft after draft not just finding guys that are like, hey, this guy's useful. This guy's a special teamer. This guy's our our backup tight end who plays twelve snaps. It's plus players. Yeah, the Dalton Schultz of the world, that Gallops of the world, Tony Pollard. Those are all plus players. Like it's and and like even just talking about their interior defensive line. Those are uh, I, it's it's a very fun team. Like we we mentioned before, like Demarcus Lawrence, another one, second rounder. Like those are those guys all homegrown are, guys. All home exactly, and it's one thing because you know Jerry's going to take care of Cowboys. Like that's one of the cool things about that franchise. It's for a reason. Like honestly, it was like for like these guys are getting these contracts and staying there for a reason. Like these guys are good, good players, and it's really fun to watch. Like you just mentioned, it's like it's the offense doesn't have to be perfect. Dak Prescott doesn't have to play perfect. We we talked about him as MVP jinx the shit out of them because ever since then <laughs> it's like falling apart but the cowboys haven't like the cowboys haven't fallen they're apart still because winning because they have different places to go i mean stars. they had that one bad draft in 2017 they drafted taco charlton in the first round everyone keeps freaking out because tj watt was in that draft uh, as, as somebody who, okay <laughs> as a cowboys fan take a step back take a deep breath you guys have drafted so well and assembled so, so many good players here over the last few years. Very few teams have done a better job of stocking the cupboard full of talent than the Cowboys have. And that was the feeling I had today while watching that team. Mm-hmm. When you have Trayvon Diggs in Terry McLaurin's hip pocket for most of the first half, and you have all three of those pass rushers just crushing people. Getting a star man. corner in the second round is yes. so rare. We don't realize yes. that. We do not realize that most top corners are lottery picks. Like it's just, it's a hard position. The fast big guys are going to go early. So getting a Trayvon Diggs, who's a plus plus corner, hardest position to find guys in the second round. It's like, you know, tip of the cap. That's scouting and development. That's what they're doing. When you watch that defense today, it was just a wave of ability. Speed. I just wanted to give some credit to the the guys who built that wave of ability, who built that roster, because it can be overwhelming in the way that it was today. Yep. All right. That's all we got tonight. Just a quick heads up. Nate will be on the mailbag show we're recording tomorrow. So please send in your questions. You can give us a call. Leave us a voicemail. It's 872-222-7073. You can also send us an email at athleticfootballshow at gmail.com. Please have those in by 1 p.m. Eastern on Monday. Really appreciate that. In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I would sincerely appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. We'll be back tomorrow, well, Tuesday with Nate. Until then, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon.
This was the Athletic Football Show.